Lord, will those who are saved be few? It's from the gospel according to St. Luke. In the name of the living God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Lord, will those who are saved be few? It's kind of a weird question, isn't it? Have you ever thought about that before? Of all the people that have ever existed, of all the people that will exist, what's the percentage of those who will be saved? I don't know. That's just kind of an odd question to me. The person who asked this question to Jesus, he's, he's asking about salvation, right? He's, he's asking about the kingdom of God. Now, just before this, Jesus was teaching about the, t- the kingdom of God. He had just given a couple illustrations about the kingdom. So, so this guy says, Lord, what's the percentage? How many people are we talking about? And maybe we can infer that he's at least thinking of someone beyond himself. At least he's thinking of someone else, perhaps. You know, there's a story of a, a rich young ruler, and he had a similar question. He, he asked, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was a little more concerned about himself. And that's, that's not a bad question. It's actually a hugely important question. But this guy was just kind of concerned about himself. This guy that we meet in Scripture today, this, this nameless guy in Scripture, at least he might have other people other than himself in mind. How many people are going to be saved? So, of course, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about a never-ending eternal life, a life that is free from sin and pain and death, and a life that is free to live perfectly. So anytime the topic of salvation is brought up, whether it's in Scripture or whether it's in the, the comfort of our couch, it's an important conversation to have. So let me first just say a couple things about this. Firstly, salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift that is freely given and freely received. It really is that basic and that simple. A few days ago, I came home and uh, I gave my wife flowers. I gave them to her freely and she accepted them freely. That's simple. Salvation is freely given and there is exactly one giver. Who has the power and authority over life? Sunday school answer, God, right? Who has the power and authority over eternal life? Same answer, God. It really is that simple. So a few things about the giver. He desires all people to be saved. In 1 Timothy 2.4, we read this. St. Paul says, this is good. It, it pleases our God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is our Savior and no one else. And he wants all people to be saved and to know the truth of salvation. Yes, he really does mean everyone. And he, the the giver, he has a name. The name is Jesus. It's a name that literally means God saves. We read this in Acts 4.12. St. Peter says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Salvation is freely given by Jesus Christ, freely given and freely 
received. And that's why we call it grace. Unmerited, undeserved love. Grace is free. Grace is free, but it is extremely costly. It costs nothing less than the death of Jesus Christ. It costs nothing less than the excruciating, torturous death of Jesus Christ. And there is that exchange of life. When Jesus offers his life to God on the cross, he's doing that so that he could give his life to us. His perfect life. His always faithful life. His always obedient life. His always abundant life. He gives that to us. And that's what makes it difficult. The grace of salvation is free, but extremely costly. And Christianity, the the Christian faith is simple, but sometimes so very difficult. Will those who are saved be few? Let's look at the answer Jesus gives. He, He doesn't say yes or no. He doesn't give a percentage or an amount. Instead, he gets really personal. He gets pretty intimate. He says, strive, struggle, make every effort to enter the narrow gate. The Gospel of Matthew adds, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Why? Because that's the easy way. Because that's the way that doesn't require effort or striving or discipline. So to be sure, the the, the gate of salvation is wide. It is as wide as Jesus himself. It is in the shape of the cross of Christ. That's the gate of salvation. And, And being conformed to that That takes effort. It takes striving. It takes discipline. St. Paul talks about the free gift of salvation in this way. He says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. That's entering through the narrow gates. That's striving to enter through the cross of Jesus Christ. And you know, the interesting thing is that through human nature, through, through human experience, we know that true growth, true growth, true lasting growth comes from struggling to do it the right way. Athletes know this intimately well. I'm not much of an athlete now, but there was a time, <laughs> there was a time when I was actually a gymnast. I was actually a gymnast for 15 years, and no, I do not recommend doing that. (laughs) And in 15 years, you you know what I never heard? Yeah, you know, just do it the way you think best. I'm I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) Never heard that. No, my my coaches, my my coaches, it was their job to teach me the proper way, the correct way of doing a, a handstand or a giant or a backflip, or whatever it was. Furthermore, they would tell me when I was doing it wrong. What a jerk, right? <laughs> no, that, that was part of the job, to correct me when I wasn't doing it right. Not just because it, it's the way it's supposed to look, but to keep me safe. 
The second time I, I broke a bone, it was because I chickened out and I didn't do the skill the right way. I remember it vividly. I was in eighth grade. I had just uh, been practicing a new skill on the vault. You know, the vault where you, where you run, jump the springboard and do a skill. I just learned a new vault and it was a Tuesday night and I was a little tired, a little hungry. I was nervous. I was scared about this new trick. And all these are excuses. I wasn't disciplined enough. I, w I didn't struggle enough to do it the proper way. And the result was that I bro broke my fifth metatarsal in my foot. Had to wear a walking boot for five or six weeks. Not fun. I had a very sympathetic uh, teammate that night. He said, yeah, you idiot, you didn't do it right. <laughs> Whatever the sport is, you know, basketball, volleyball, soccer, athletes know that there are good ways and there are bad ways to play the game. A great athlete is able to take the basic simple structure or mechanics of a skill and develop it into something beautiful and powerful. Maybe this is the most obvious in golf. Just a little homage to Father Chris here. I bet there are 10,000 bad ways to swing a golf club, and I've probably tried many of them. <laughs> but the thing is, even novices know, you, when you see a great golf swing, you know it's a great golf swing. It takes practice and time and effort and determination and perseverance. So Michael Jordan, right? Still probably the greatest of all time. I know there was an active debate going on whether it's Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Michael Jordan, not always the greatest player of all time. Actually, he used to be really bad at shooting baskets, particularly free throws. He actually did not make his high school basketball team because he was so bad at shooting, particularly free throws. So after he didn't make the team, apparently that year, several times a week, he disciplined himself to make 500 free throws before he went to bed at night. Notice that I didn't say attempt or try, but make, make 500 free throws. That's dedication. That's determination. That's struggling to grow. So the spiritual life, the Christian life, isn't really, meh, just kind of do whatever. I'm, I'm sure it'll work out. No, the, the, the Christian life is struggling to conform our lives in the shape of the cross and to the very life of Christ himself. Lord, will those who are saved be few? It's a question of salvation that Jesus answers by encouraging us to strive and to struggle. And that's very appropriate at this time. In the season of Lent we're in, because Lent is, is a journey of striving towards the cross. Lent is a season of discipline in which we work on our relationship with Christ and his church. So of course, there are some tried and true exercises in the growth of spiritual life. Firstly, there is worship. There's always worship. It's the first and primary basic foundational way to grow in grace in Christ is to worship him. We become what we celebrate. Worshiping is celebrating God, who he is, what he's done, what he continues to do in us and among us and around us. It's worship. There is prayer. The conversation we have with our loving father, the lifting up 
of our hearts and our minds to God, the way God's power and his grace touches our life, the asking of the God of all mercy and grace and goodness to give us mercy and grace and goodness. Worship, prayer, study, sometimes overlooked. That's the willingness to not watch TV or get on social media and instead get into the word of God. Reading a commentary that explains certain passages and verses, struggling to, in the growing of, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, what he said, what he did, and what it all means. And there is the cultivation of fruit and virtues, of striving towards love instead of selfishness, striving towards joy instead of despair, striving towards peace instead of anger, seeking justice and prudence, courage, faith, hope, love. These are tried and true disciplines and exercises that allow us to grow in the life of Christ. Because at the end of the day, that's what salvation, that's what the spiritual life is all about. The life of Christ given freely and living in us. At the end of the day, that's what Lent's about. Death and resurrection. Killing bad habits so that godly habits may develop. So if I can encourage two, two habits that you can start today, you start this week. Two habits. One, daily prayer. Second, the sign of the cross. If you're not in the habit of daily prayer, you can start today. Pray for yourself. Pray for your friends. Pray for your family. Pray for the help of daily following Christ. And secondly, the, the sign of the cross. Do it early and often. The sign of the cross transforms situations and meanings. We, we began our worship with the sign of the cross because that, that's why we're here. I began this talk with the sign of the cross because it's, it's not a lecture, it's a sermon. And, and hopefully the word of God is preached and the word of God is heard. The sign of the cross reminds us where salvation comes from. Lord, will those who are saved be few? In some sense, Jesus says, don't worry about it. We are not to judge. We are not the giver of salvation. That is for Jesus and for him alone. Him alone. Instead, he says, strive. Strive to enter the narrow gate. Work on your relationship with Jesus. Participate in God's own life in you. Foster, train, develop, and discipline those habits that he may live more fully in you and that when he comes again, he may find in us a mansion prepared for himself. Amen.